Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 137, episode 4 of Dirt Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness and say officially off the top, fuck the Koch brothers, fuck Fox News, fuck Rush Limbaugh, and fuck fuck Buck Sexton. Uh, ben Shapiro, Charlie Kirk, all fuck all those guys. Um, it's Thursday, June eleventh, twenty twenty. My name is Jack O'Brien, aka Acab Sapi, uh, and I am thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. Let's defund the police. Give the funds to other things. <laughs> okay, shout out to Sojourner at Woman8 for pointing me to a, someone who wasn't even writing a Daily Zeitgeist, aka. This was from at is he ought to uh, for that one. Replying to actually Cody, it's it's all we're all it's all iHeart, it's all it's all in the building at the same time. But yes, uh, thank you so much for that because uh, I think we have to talk a little bit about what some people aren't understanding what what is being meant uh, by defund the police or what the aim mm-hmm. is. And I think we're going to keep talking about that uh, as the days go on and this uh, fight continues. My AK was courtesy of uh, Face Forward, but he just did ACAB Rocky. Uh, I don't think I'm cool enough to be ACAB Rocky, so I changed it to ACAB Soppy to re- represent <laughs> how sweaty I am. Oh, uh, okay. We are, we are thrilled uh, to be joined in our third seat by the brilliant, the talented Bridget Todd. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. Yes. Last time so we saw you, you was like one of the last times we were able to move freely, take airplanes, record in face to face. We were all in DC together. I still have such fond memories of that that time. Yeah, that was a that was a fun moment. Um, you guys had your hotel room tricked out. I had never I had never seen a sort of mobile podcasting setup <laughs> quite as mm. as robust as the ones that y'all had. So I was really really impressed. Oh, uh, it was a good time. It was a good time. How's how's the weather in DC? Hot as balls. Um, I would describe it as it feels like you're in someone's mouth. Oh, I yep. walked out to get some <laughs> lunch so and gross. I had to completely change my outfit from head to toe because I was bathed in sweat. See, I do that in Japan yeah. too because uh, Tokyo in the summer, it's the humidity is absolutely wicked. Uh, where like I have to have like I, either like a sweat towel and an extra shirt so I can do like a quick 180 in the bathroom if I have to meet people so they don't think like I'm in like a desperate like in a state of desperation when I, when I come up so sweaty. Uh, I don't know if that's the same. If you have similar tactics, but um, I actually the, the the towel over the shoulder thing is a look that a lot of my uncles and my brother yep, yep. rock. Where it's like, oh, just have a just have a towel, just my yep, sweat towel. Yep. <laughs> Oh, DC man. is next is a different level of mugginess though. I mean it's famously like built on a swamp, but it's ugh it, you you are right that that is a perfect description of of the the feeling of DC summer heat. It's, I've only been you're to inside DC. someone's mouth. <laughs> I've been to DC in the summer once. I was 14. It was like on an 8th grade trip to go see the the sights of the like America's history and like uh, it was it was monumental. I remember like I don't remember Ford's Theater. I remember the gift shop across the street from <laughs> Ford's Theater where where the homie bought a weed pipe and got in trouble for it. <laughs> 
And then I remember the my memory of the heat is being at the Lincoln Memorial. It's so hot. This was maybe this was only in probably May or something. So it wasn't even that deep fully into probably the hot, hottest and muggiest it can be. But I just remember being like, this this is stupid. Like I don't even care about history anymore because this heat is so bad. Ugh, what a town. The weed was the weed pipe like Ford Theater themed? Was it like no, smoke? It's like those, like the president dude, got smoked. Or, you know, okay. you know how like in you know, Hollywood or Times Square, any like major okay, attraction yeah, in yeah. the city has got like it. just stupid ass souvenir shops that sell like some things that make sense that are relevant to the city and then other times like i don't know you want a laser pointer that has like a pokemon on it like i don't know we got that shit too like and then we also bought laser pointers we got in trouble for that i got in trouble for launching a quarter down the escalators uh on the metro because i had never seen escalators go so deep into the earth before so my yeah, dumb ass is like, Metro. oh, get ready. This quarter is about to fucking fly. I hit this white woman in the arm. She's like, you got to get all these kids somewhere. Like she acted like she got it. Probably, I mean, to be honest, the thing was flying so hard. And when I saw it hit somebody, I was like, that was probably not wise. Uh, and our teachers <laughs> lined us up against the wall. And they're like, who threw the quarter? Uh, mm. And, you know, I had to step up. Did you up. admit it? Yeah, I stepped up. Mm. Wow. A real... And it see, like there are other were... and there are other kids. There, mm, see, there are white kids who are throwing shit down too. Didn't say anything, but I, mm-hmm. I, I also part of me was just like, ah, oh, man. Like I, I think I felt bad because I saw the the impact of the court. I was like, yeah, that wasn't a good look. So I was like, I will take this L. Aww. Um, you had such conviction mm-hmm. as a child. Yeah, and then they called my parents uh, and said I was like, they, we had a strike system on the trip because if you got one strike, it was a warning. You got two, they called your parents, and three. Wow. You were fucking on a plane back because they were not fucking standing for any of this oh. shit. Because you know, the, the past kids were getting wild on these trips, and I remember I got straight. I went straight to strike two with my Metro quarter escapade, and then my mom was confused why they were calling because she, you know, she's like ESL but didn't get like what happened. They're like, he struck someone with a quarter in the subway, and she's like, what? So. <laughs> He punched someone like, no, he threw a quarter and it hit a woman in the arm. She's like, oh, okay. And then they're like, do you want to speak with him? She's like, do you want to speak? (laughs) They're like, do you want to speak with him? I get on the phone. She starts speaking to me in Japanese. She's like, what the fuck are they talking about? I forget it, man. They're tripping. And she goes, all right, just don't get in trouble. I'm like, and I'm like, okay. But I'm like, so on the phone, they're like, oh, something's going down. Like he had to switch it up to Japanese. And meanwhile, I hang up. I'm like, so sorry. No more quarters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Your mom... First of all, your mom sounds fucking awesome. (laughs) Yeah, she's a gangster. (laughs) Bridget, did you have an eighth grade class trip? I did. Um, So I I went to school in Richmond, Virginia, and our our big... So we had two big trips um, in my high school. One was to D.C. So Richmond and D.C. isn't... It's like maybe it's like three hours. But the Mm. big, big school trip that like was dangled in front of you like if you fuck up you won't be able to go was our our trip to new york that was like a big deal and like we saved up we saved up money for it like we had like i feel like we had like bake sales and stuff like it was a big animating thing and it's like if you didn't get to go it was the biggest deal in the world yeah that oh I, I, that was also part this trip was new york dc philadelphia basically oh, like wow trying to and we were on buses I remember going to Jamestown and laughing because I was like, what is going, what is wrong with y'all? What the <laughs> fuck is this place? 
Then I bought, I think there's a record store in historic Jamestown, but uh, my friend Chris, shout out to him, bought the first Ja Rule album that came out oh, that year. Shit, Vinny Vidi Vici, okay, <laughs> bought that in historical <laughs> Jamestown. <laughs> <laughs> in Jamestown. Uh, Weed pipe across from yeah. Ford's Theater. And then when we went to New York, <laughs> I was so stoked because I wanted to go to a Dr. J's because we didn't have, there weren't like many clothing stores for like, you know, like hip hop black people clothing in LA. Like you had to go to like Melrose or very specific, but I was like, oh, Dr. J's in New York. Don't fuck it up. I bought like the most, the cheapest like knockoff Mecca t-shirt I think I could have ever mm. had, but you know. Exciting times. So well, shout out to uh, Lexington, Kentucky Public Schools. We went to Chicago for our eighth grade uh, class trip, hey. and uh, we got to go to the Rock and Roll McDonald's oh, yeah. and uh, and uh, what's the uh, Medieval Times? Those were the two. <laughs> like, wait, what is oh, this? What wait, is I, this educational experience? <laughs> what was the value assigned to the Rock and Roll McDonald's? Uh, it was just there. Oh, yeah, it's a right. tourist stop, man. They, it was wild. Listen, I um, fuck with medieval times. That place is fun. Yeah. Like, like that. That would have been if I had been your age going to medieval times as part of a school trip. That would have been amazing. Oh, it, was, it was so fun. The trip oh, was yeah. so fun. It's just funny that that was what we did oh, instead of like go learn about the nation's capital. I remember when we were doing the live show in Chicago, and I was like, I went on a fucking Arctic sojourn to go get italian beef like with the wind cutting my face in the snow i like walked by that what i guess you're calling the rock and roll mcdonald's because i was like this shit looks like an apple store and now yeah, you're like now it looks that like an used apple to store. be rock and roll mcdonald's <laughs> i'm like please leave me. i don't know what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> please stop <laughs> go Wait, back to I the actually, hotel now i don't know what rock and roll mcdonald's is you don't know what it is no it's just like a big McDonald's in Chicago that had like jukeboxes and like statues of Ronald McDonald and like paintings of Elvis on the wall. It was just like some it's it is there is literally zero educational value to it. <laughs> right. It's just a big McDonald's. It's okay. uh, the, when purely I, I was trying to think like if there was another name for it. When I searched Rock and Roll McDonald's, it's a Wesley Willis song. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did I make that up? I mean, it, no. Was I, I mean, just calling it the Rock and Roll no, the McDonald's? the images, though, show that one McDonald's that for old, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that same public school is the one that sent me to the Long John Silver's uh, headquarters for being a student of the month one, one year. Brag. Uh, and <laughs> so there there was a very, like, fast food-centric curriculum there yeah. um, where they were just like, yeah get it um, i can't believe you did not i can't believe that you did not grow up to be like a like a subway executive or something right. <laughs> you know still working still working towards those life goals he's like but um, a little most people don't know he is a quiznos franchisee <laughs> my friend <Is> <laughs> was a quiznos franchisee uh during the great quiznos fall uh, uh shout oh, out really? to chris oh man yeah you hate to see it all right bridget Let's just get right into uh, what we like to ask our guest, and then, you know, there's there's plenty we're going to get to, hopefully. Uh, and the flow of this conversation was such, uh, just telling you guys ahead of time that we are not going to, like, actually throw to breaks. We'll just fade out, and you'll start hearing an ad. We hope that's okay with you. Uh, but first, we like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history that's revealing about who you are? Dozens and dozens of 
Google image searches of what it looks like to get a test for COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I was yeah. one of the folks who was protesting in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I felt like it was my responsibility to go get a COVID test after being among you know, the masses, obviously wearing masks, but protesting. Yeah. But I'm such a baby about pain and I'm such a baby about any kind of like thing where I'm being poked. Like I hate like. I regularly pass out when I get blood drawn. Like that's how that's oh, how big of a baby okay. I am. Okay. So I really had to like do some deep dive research into. Have you seen those pictures of how far back it goes? Yeah. Yes. Looks like it's like a sword swallower. <laughs> yes. But I have it on good authority that it's actually not that bad. So if right. anybody is like me, like squeamish and kind of a baby about pain, and you've been protesting and you're like, oh, I really should get a COVID test. It is not, it looks horrible in the pictures. I don't think it's really that bad. Yeah. Uh, the LA ones yeah. were not like, there was that one video going around of like, I think someone in the National Guard or it was like the uh, some, some military in the US personnel were getting like mass COVID testing and they were just skull fucking them with these Q-tips. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, fuck no, bro. Like I'll stay inside. Right. I've been good for the last months. Like I don't need to go. But then- yeah, you start going out and about now. It's like okay, we have to. We actually have to take this seriously. And but luckily, all of the anecdotal evidence we have from Jamie Loftus to people across the city, at least in LA, it's not as violent uh, as that one video made it seem. Yes, um, I would agree. So go out and get your COVID test if you're worried about it. Yeah, it's especially not that if you've been protesting, please. Yes, yes, yes. Have you gotten yours yet? I have gotten mine. I'm awaiting my results. So hopefully. I'll get the all clear. Um, it takes longer than you expect. I feel like it takes yeah. like a week sometimes. It yeah, took I was my told wife, like two weeks. Oh, really? Yeah, I was told Not three her, to five it days. Took the people who test her. Yeah. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I was told three to five days. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I really, I think this Google search was revealing because I really thought long and hard about whether or not I was going to join the protest precisely because of COVID. Like I was like, I don't want to get COVID. Mm-hmm. I'm too much of a wimp for that test. Um, but then eventually I was like, I can't be in DC in this moment and like not go because I'm afraid of COVID. So I just had to like spend some time thinking about the risks and thinking about how to do it safely. So if anybody like is, is, is in that same boat, you'll know what I mean of like, should I go? Should I not yeah, go? Wait, should I join? Yeah. Should I not join? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is something you think is underrated? Something that I think is underrated is calling your former bosses, calling them the fuck out on social media. I think <laughs> I have seen, you know, I, the last few days have been really incredible. Like heads yeah. are fucking rolling. And I think I grew up of a generation of like, you don't shit talk your boss. Like nothing makes you look worse than when you, you know. No one's going to want to work with you after something like that. Exactly. But that's the thing exactly. that rings. That's what you put in your head to sort of keep you in line. Exactly. And I think especially for like black professionals, professionals of color, I think that we are so attuned and heightened to those kinds of messages of like, oh, well, like you, you don't want to look difficult. You don't want to look, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote crazy. You don't want to look aggressive. So you have to be really careful about how you speak out about, you know, your professional experiences. I think that we have gotten to a moment where like that is out, that is done, like people are speaking up and I think it is great. Yeah. I think people don't respect the sanctity of white supremacy anymore. Absolutely. You know, because that's what it is, because it's like if you talk about it, then it's like, oh, 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 no, that's 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 there's that's sanctified. We don't have to go too deep into that. 
don't and if you do we're going to treat you like some you know aggressive blasphemer uh, who dares to talk about this thing we won't speak about but now that we are yeah like there's no that's gone now like that i don't know why that fear has been lifted from a lot of people and you see it with i mean look at all these places these like comedy clubs that are having reckonings too like it's happening at so many different levels um, I think that's what that's why, you know, I, I took the last couple of days like a break because I was getting a little overwhelmed with how much like I would engage with what's what's happening and just getting caught in the Twitter rage scroll and like just letting it compound like my feelings of already helplessness just, you know, generationally or whatever and feeling like, well, what do we do? But then there's so much power. All of these ideas swirl in your head. Am I doing enough? What can I do more? Is this is this the right thing? Should I do more of this? Am I doing a lot of this? And it took a second. I was I was burning out to say the least. And it was it was to to describe everything that was happening with me internally and trying to be eloquent like the last yeah, eight episodes or so. Uh, is it takes a lot, especially because like the whole time like I can hear like my blood coursing through my head with my headphones on. I was like I was just not in a good state mm. like. And so I had to take a second, had to find a new therapist, uh, had to get on some, like, put my phone down. I actually, like, I've not been using Twitter. I've not been looking at my email. I had to take a second to fully, like, uh, remove myself, I think, from, like, the existential, like, rage and fire that is burning in a lot of us right now and realize that I'm engaging in what is going to be a marathon. And I've been, like, mm. I've, I've, it, but it feels so good to sprint. Oh, it feels good to sprint because your fucking body's moving. You're like, oh, my God, this power, bro. I'm sprinting. I didn't know I could run this fast. But you can't keep that up. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. hit a wall. And yeah. before I hit that wall, I look, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've struggled like with my own anxiety and things like that throughout the years. And I've luckily been good about staying on top of like my own mental health and well-being. And I could see this sort of feeling of anger sort of taking over me to the point where it would it would keep me on the sidelines of this fight. And I want, mm. and that's the thing I had to realize. I'm like, oh man, I actually now I realize I want to be in this fight so bad. I need to take the time to change my training because I've been, yeah. I've been sprinting in the marathon and that looks good maybe in the first minute of the race. But when you hit mile three, mile four, mile 13, mile 20, you'll just get further back and back and back. And I think that's what, you know, again, I want to I want to really urge people because I think a lot of people are so engaged and really do feel like there is there's some urgency right now that things can be done. That's good. And but also realize this is a marathon. And Bridget, you know, you were saying again to me before we started recording that this is, you know, we have to be able to be efficient with our energy. So whatever that is that you have to do, please do that, because this isn't it's not about like what you get done in these three weeks. And if you're looking mm -hmm. at this as being well, I got to get it all done in these four weeks. I got to read. I got to read Bell Hooks and Angela Davis in, in in three days. No, 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 no. This is this. Look, it took it took centuries to to make white supremacy this like religion that we all knelt to and and thought the power like didn't question the power of. But it's gonna take um, it's gonna take a minute for it to to unravel. But it's possible if we all keep our heads in the game. So I really want to encourage everybody to take that breath so you can like really see what the what what your role is going to be in this and how much energy that's going to take in to be as efficient as possible. Yeah, I couldn't Absolutely. I I could not agree more with all the things that you were saying. And I just want to say, I mean, the Montgomery bus boycott that lasted 382 yeah. days, right? 
look, go back and look at how long some of the social movements that came before us, how long they actually lasted. And I think it's so tempting, like you said, to think we can get this all done in a weekend, right? And I also think that we live in a world where our news cycle is so short, but I don't think this is that, right? This is not like a blip that we're all paying attention to now, you know, that we're going to lose our, like, it shouldn't be something that we lose our focus on. And so we have to do whatever it is that grounds us, that keeps us feeling good so that we can stay checked in. And I I do want to make a quick message to my white fam, which is that over the last couple of weeks, I've seen this, I've seen more white people sort of getting it, quote unquote, or or doing the work to try to get it than I ever have. And Mm -hmm. I think, especially for white folks, you know, us black and brown folks know that this shit is draining. It's hard. It's exhausting. You got to take breaks. It gets to you. I think that people who are newly checked in to how fucked up and toxic white supremacy and all of this shit is might really need to remember that last thing. Because I think a lot of us who have been in this fight for a really long time know that. And so I think newcomers to this work might want to be extra careful about just acknowledging that. Take care of yourself. Exactly. Because this is what's going to happen. The second the NBA, MLB, NFL, Mm. your jobs, the toil of capitalism, all that fires up, you're going to find 300,000 excuses as to why you, you did the work in June. And now I got to do this other stuff now. No, 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 no. And this is the thing that I think most black people will continue to challenge allies on is to keep this same energy. Because what we're seeing right now makes us, like you're saying, oh, okay, if this looks good, people are trying to understand, people realize the stakes and now are investing in a movement. But that move, it, it cannot go in. We cannot become inert at all. So figure out how you just keep, how you stay plugged in because oh, you're going to look like a fool, uh, you know, if you had all this radical talk, uh, you know, out the side of your head when you were, you know, among people who you thought it would make you look good in, in front of and then go back to regularly scheduled programming because, yeah. man, those excuses, I can't even imagine what some of those tired excuses are going to be like from people in a few months from now who were so rah-rah right now and I get it. Some people maybe felt something, understood that they felt oppression of their own, and that got them to come out and then take their foot off the gas. I don't know how you could, how someone would tell you, like, I, I thought you were so, you understood, right? What happened now? How come you won't actually, like, just sign this petition? Like, why don't you just vote for this person? Like, why are you voting for this person? You just said mm-hmm. that you understood what the stakes were. And I think that's the next phase of this whole thing, is that we need to leave politics behind and start moving towards purpose. Because that's the problem. We got all these fucking, we got all these words and phrases and shit that are cutting up the pie that we don't actually see it for what it is. We need purpose now because, man, we'll get to it. But the the League of Nubian Justice is not going to save us in Nancy Pelosi and Chuck (laughs) Schumer. I don't care how many kente cloth stoles they got on. That's not, I still look at those people as people who dropped the ball on bills that actually could have done things that were substantive. Now, if we're willing to move forward now and people can say, hey, I'm willing to go full throttle on this, like, like really getting stuff done. But like, don't kneel with your Kente claws on. It's like, y'all are the people who make the laws. Right. Like, yeah. so now, now, like, I know this is the, the, the next phase of this is really going to have to be going beyond politics and going towards purpose. Because if we keep going along politics, we'll continue to do these lukewarm reforms and not move towards the purpose of what all these demonstrations are. And I think that's what people, I want people to really realize 
we have to start looking at purpose, the purpose mm-hmm. of these things, the purpose of these bills, the purpose of voting people in office, not because of the the, the color or the letter in, in parentheses next to their name when, when they run a Chiron on MSNBC or CNN or whatever. It's about the purpose now. And it, when this is the problem that a lot of people are going to run into. You've now out loud said you intellectually understand what the purpose is. So if you now go against that for something else, you're going to look so disingenuous. Um, and you that'll be the back to not yeah. understanding. So that. in a lot Absolutely. of ways, some people may have crossed the Rubicon. They weren't ready to cross. Yeah. You know, but and I love it. I love it because I think that's what we need is we need purpose now. Absolutely. This will become, I think, less of a focus in the media and it might even become the unpopular in the media, just like you guys were talking about the Montgomery bus boycotts like that. That is something that now we look back on as, you know, a montage in a movie. But that was long and it was uh, became unpopular. Martin Luther King Jr. was unpopular when he uh, was murdered. It's something like we talked last week that I think some people assume that the status quo is justice or had that assumption, or at least I had that like tacit assumption in the back of my mind. And I think we need to understand that the the status quo is oppression and racism and white supremacy. Yeah. These fantasy characters from our history or villains. And I think that's yeah. the thing. It's that moment where like teens recognize like their parents suck. I think a lot of white people <laughs> are realizing that about their system of government and like what like a lot of people are like, whoa, what the fuck? Oh, she got, whoa, this is bullshit. Yeah. This is bull. Yeah. But some people I think will retreat to the comfort of their distractions because this is heavy. This is heavy lifting. This is heavy, yeah. heavy lifting to like to really engage in this. So I commend anybody who's doing the work, like actually doing the work, you know, because it's not easy. Yeah, yeah. this is the first time that I felt like America might be up to it, like the kind of movement, the attention, the changing, some of the changing attitudes. But the, there's a whole long history of uh, America not being up to confronting white supremacy. And so there, there's just a lot of long uh, and sustained work that well, needs to happen. Yeah. And I think the other thing, especially liberals do, is that they will uh, diagnose the problem, but not treat it. Mm. And and they pat, and we pat ourselves on the back. I would, too, when I would maybe probably identify more as like a big D Democrat 10 years ago uh, of just being like, well, they diagnosed, I mean, they called it out. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> That took a lot because before no one said anything. At least they called it out. And I'm like, right. what the, f- I, in my mind, and that's the thing that's, I think, different now is we're not, we're just, we're not willing to settle for the diagnosis anymore. It's time for yeah. the treatment. Yeah. I think that's so right. Um, and I, I look at it, it turned like, like, I don't know if you guys saw the two different camps that came out on social media. One was eight can't wait. Like mm-hmm. these are these eight steps that police departments can take right now to demilitarize our police. And then, and so I'm, I'm not like shitting on that at all. I, like, I'm happy that people are thinking about solutions and, and goals. But then someone was like, hey, like, w- like, why are we thinking so small? Yeah. Right. Like, like, why is one of these eight things, you know, banning the chokehold? Chokeholds are already banned. Like, why is it like, rest- like restating, you know, what should be the bare minimum? And so someone else was like, released a new thing, like eight to abolish. Like, like, what, yeah. like. 
this is not the moment for. And again, I want to be very clear. I am not. I am not shitting on anybody yeah. who's coming coming to the table with solutions at all. But I believe this is not the time to be playing small. Yeah, incrementalism. Like, yeah, incremental exactly, solutions. Exactly. 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 Um, and I think. If, if, you know, one of the things I prepared for today was my myth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my myth and say a myth is that electoral organizing and electoral work is the only way, is the only thing there is. And that is a myth. It is not true. And I think oh, that like. Yeah, disproven thoroughly over the last two weeks. Exactly. It's like, like all of the changes that we have, that we have made in the last few weeks, none of, like, so few of those were attached to an elected official or like electoral power. I believe in electoral power. I would, ne- I would never say, don't go out and vote. It's not worth it, whatever. Never, ever, ever. You will never, you will never hear me say that. Yeah. But we need to think beyond where, what is possible and think beyond you know, the everyday thinking about where power lies. Of course you should vote, but you should also be aware of your own people power. You should also be aware of what happens when you collectively and strategically fight for liberation and like what is possible. Like, I think that we... And I'm really talking to myself here. I've spent so long being the version of myself, Miles, that you just did the impression of, of like, well, at least they called it out. At least they wore the kente cloth, whatever. And like, why was I willing to accept such, such meaningless small potatoes in, in in this work, like why like why would that have satisfied me? Because we were still so hungry. Because that was our form of bowing to the altar of white supremacy. In that we were, we've been told that's the best we can get. So take it or leave it. And we've exactly. been raised, we've been raised with an attitude and outlook from art from generations of black Americans struggling for liberation that that's just how it is. That's just how I mean, that's just how it is. We all know, but that's just how it is. And we're coming out of the that's just how it we're starting. I feels like we're getting into the nah, fuck that phase. Um, mm-hmm. because we've, you know. We've been just saying that's just how it is. Like the news coverage would be like, and yes, disproportionately, like African Americans are put in jail at a higher rate. Uh, okay, now, well, back to you, Fred. What's going on with the Bank of California <laughs> losing the naming rights to the stadium for LAFC? It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, we're past that. We're because it now it's it. absurd. And I think now we're not willing to bow to its supremacy and say, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the optics. Thank you for this ceremonial thing that felt like a show of solidarity. We are, I think we are so, we're like in a justice famine, right? Where we, we, we need that and we have not tasted it. And now nothing will do except for justice. So mm. you want to give me reforms? You're just, you're delaying the end of this white supremacist system of oppression. That's all you're doing. You are delaying the end of it. That's all incremental solutions are. If we have, if we're brave enough now, we're all saying, we're all calling it what it is. We all see the the violence of the police and that we seriously have to rethink what law enforcement looks like in this country. We're, seems like a lot of people now are willing to connect emotionally and intellectually that black people are just murdered for sport. If we're all willing to say that, how dare you say that we just need incremental change? You just accepted that this is unacceptable. So then how could we how could we take another minute of the same thing? It makes no sense. It really makes no sense. And I think that's the the difference now I think is we're the urgency is really here. And now we're I think a lot of people are able to articulate and call out and, you know, properly synthesize all these things that are out there and translate it into like, oh no, this is 
these reforms have been a tool to just prolong the inevitable, which is mm. equality. Fuck yeah. You're taking me to church right now. Mm-hmm. It's true. I had to go to the it's mountain, abs- y'all. I had to go. <laughs> I told you. I said, I have, right. I have to be able to contribute, man. And I can't, I feel, it, I'm telling, I feel different. I feel different. And, but first I felt different in that I said, I've never felt this fucking angry in my life. I've never been willing to just knock on a neighbor's door and be like, come, come catch me outside right now. I got shit to say. Like, <laughs> yeah, let I, me tell you. Yeah. Now is not the time to be trying black and brown people. Cause no. we've like fucking had it. Oh, we have. Oh, I, I got, I have time. I have time now. I have all the time. But that's what I realized. If I'm going to have the time, I have to be able to do it efficiently. And that's why I want to remind people is, yes, the first part is, great, you've accepted that th- like we are in a state that must change. So the next phase is really think about the solutions. Don't think about how to make it better. You can't, don't diagnose my illness and then just treat the symptoms. Treat the disease. Well... I think we're all glad you're back. <laughs> I think we're all glad you. I think we're all glad you took you took care of yourself because I think everybody needs. I think everybody. But that's uh, recognizes. Yeah, that, and that's why I feel good yeah. though too because it's like it almost seems like the solutions are so clear and we can actually articulate them in enough. Like there seems to be reaching a tipping point of white allies that are also on the same page now, and we're all singing from yeah. the same book because before it used to be. Well, not like that. And you had Obama saying, you know, calling protesters. It's like, no, no. See, this we're all like, I think we're shedding this illusion now about what is going on. And if we're able, if we're sober enough to see it, then we got to have the, the, I guess the the bravery or just the moral backbone to say, if mm-hmm. we see the problem, then let's just solve the problem. Let's just Absolutely. The I, the I hope that that's. Yeah. I hope that that's the moment that we're in. I hope it's a sustained, focused response to all of this. I really, I really hope. It feels like it is. I really hope it is. Yeah, and granted, we are in bubbles. What I do know is I can, I can speak for the people I, spoke, I speak to who are, have similar backgrounds, being black, biracial, having some, you know, some participation in blackness in this country and like it awakening something. something very deep that was about like dedicating I, I don't know like using this energy to do something different um because i feel like you know our parents spent generations trying to position us and subsequent generations in places where we could have access to things they did not and i think maybe those chickens are coming home to roost in the sense that we've had to operate in white spaces for so, for so long we've learned how to navigate white spaces and how that power moves in those places, how to create allies, even just through working in these places. And now we're like, I feel like we look generationally, we kind of, we're seeing the matrix of it. And we're like, I think we can actually, we, there might be a way to do something. here. Yeah. I think I, I want to like plus one, that point that you just made about, being, you know, black and brown folks in professional settings, because I think that, like, as someone who has worked in media, like I worked at MSNBC, I probably have never felt more 
aware of my blackness than working in a white media space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these days I'm self-employed. There's like no, like I can say whatever the fuck I want. Like there's, you can't call anyone to get me fired because I work for myself. (laughs) But like, I am your manager. Right, exactly. (laughs) But like seeing my black peers at the New York Times, at Bon Appetit, at all these places saying like, no, we have been putting up with straight up racism from people on this staff who probably think of themselves as like nice white people for years and we're fucking done. You know, I don't think that people understand the minutia of navigating white spaces as black and brown people, like the minutia of how you have to like carry yourself and be aware of things and show up in a specific way. Like, and on top of that, also do your job and do it really well so that nobody says that you just got there because you're a diversity hire. Like, I don't like, you know, Charles Blow on this Oprah special I watched was talking about like, like what would our collective work look like as a people if we didn't have to navigate this bullshit all the time? Like, like how, mm. like how much more could we have accomplished oh if we weren't God. using our energy to navigate this racist system and doing it with a fucking smile because that's what's expected. Like it really, it, it yeah. really does feel like a moment where it's like, you see what we all fucking put up with all the time. Yeah. Ugh. That actually, uh, ties into uh, something you wrote about in today's Doc Miles about uh, Kaylee McEnany kind of talking about how uh, the president, in addition to her statements about, you know, backing up the the president's conspiracy theory that... uh, that, I think conspiracy um, theory is like the wrong language to use. Just utter shameful smear. Smear. Like, it's not a theory. It's a fucking man. lie, dude. What the fuck <laughs> yeah. is wrong? He had a fucking police but he swore jamming on, device, a fucking iPhone? He swore on Twitter, though, man. Oh, fuck I mean, yeah. he says anyway. bad words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's nice try. On yesterday's episode, we talked about how she was bragging that he got 8% of the black vote. And on uh, yesterday, or on today's episode of, I think it was Fox and Friends, uh, she was saying that he had asked you know, the equivalent of the one black guy at his company to lead a diversity council. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's happening at every job right now. It's like, okay, oh, my God. oh man, it's we fucked true. up. Hey, sorry, uh, people we weren't listening to or people who just weren't really willing to say anything, can y'all be in charge of suddenly now helping us uh, do the work of, of transforming a company? Uh, look, uh, commend the energy, but my, probably not the best way to do that. Uh, and, but <laughs> hey, this is what they got. They got Tim Scott now. The, the one black Republican senator to work on these proactive policy prescriptions, whatever that means. I mean, he, he in the past, he has tried to attach bills that were about uh, police accountability that essentially saying that, like, if police local police departments do not record the incidents of like shootings um, to the to the feds, that that would that would uh, that would basically restrict their ability to receive federal funding. So in a way, defunding the police uh, if they weren't like willing to account. So I don't know if he's going to propose some form of like, just mainly like an accountability bill. That's just basically saying like, sorry, like we're going to have to like dox all you terrible racist transgressors is like, I, I don't know if that's the, the, the thing that's going to happen, but the rest of her segment kind of went on. She's like, you know, we'll see if that's going to be like, uh, through executive order or like legislation. Uh, we don't know, but it was like this very like non-committal way of talking mm. about it. But I think the thing that's really interesting is that they're not able to succinctly talk about the issues like of racism and white supremacy uh, and over policing 
because they if they do, it's like this like logic game where by doing that, that means now they've opened themselves up to talk about all these things that the president has already spoken about. And they're always willing to like just defend it blindly. But it's weird how even these like racists have to like figure out the weird chess game. Like, well, I can't say too much because then that means I acknowledge it. And then uh, the self-awareness will make my own ideology evaporate. But I must do very. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of word games being played. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm not hopeful. Yeah. I'm not. Hopeful. I'm not. I'm not hopeful either. I mean, listen. This is an administration where Trump went on TV in front of a, bu- in front of a bunch of police officers and said, essentially, rough them up. Don't beat. Yeah, rough them up. Like, 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 I guess I just and it's funny that we're even talking about this now. I feel obviously fuck Trump forever until the day I die. Like, suck my dick and choke on it. Fuck you. I hate him so much. But <laughs> I yield my time. I yield my time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, by the way, like mwah, chef kiss. Yeah. <laughs> but. You know, when I was at the protest in D.C., I was really surprised how few signs at the protest were about Trump specifically. And I almost kind of forgot about him. Like, of course, he is a racist, white supremacist monster and he is leading our country. And, we, you know, we, we got to remember that. But this problem goes so much deeper than Trump. Like, <laughs> yep. like this shit was a problem way before Trump, right? Like, this shit has always been a problem. You just talked about Obama, like, talking shit about protesters, right? Like. Yeah. The, the, the problem, obviously, Trump is horrible, but Trump did not invent white supremacy. And I think that, like, people who are thinking about it only in terms of, like, oh, Trump is a monster are thinking way, that's like tunnel vision or that's something. That's like, like someone gotta, who thinks, like, SoundCloud rappers are the beginning of hip hop. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so, like, it's like, this, is the fir- this has been the first time that I've, like, thought about Trump in a couple of days because I'm just like, there's so much other. Yeah, it's bigger. There's so much to this. It's it's bigger than like the racist in the White House. Yes, the racist in the White House, but it's so much bigger than that. Yeah, I think that's yeah. like the one thing he's actually is like. Oh, thank God, it's systemic. It's not. It's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> like, but it's true. I think that's why I keep saying that we need to actually begin moving forward with purpose and not politics. Because, dude, Bill Clinton. Let's think about what happened, the amount of people were incarcerated under the Clinton administration, and because his cat had a video game, Socks the Cat on Genesis, and he could play uh, the saxophone, we were like, he was great. Inaction. Yeah. But that's inaction. And then the same way, like, even that's why I didn't like this, the Kente Cloth stole look from all these politicians who have not really... They could have gone so much more aggressive on bills that would have helped working people, which would have helped black people. Uh, they could have done they could have done so much more work that would have aggressively treated uh, like housing inequality and things like that. But they didn't because they also they have to work with the real estate developers that help finance their campaigns. It's just that's why, like, I look at all this and I'm like, but see, this is a fucking you guys are just playing dress up. Uh, yeah. And that's why I really I think that's what to your point is that people feel that this is like, yo, this is so they're seeing past the pol- the political game. And now it's the purpose. We're done with the politics of this. We're now here with the purpose for equality. And if we maybe we'll affect that change through politics by exercising our right to protest and then eventually lean on these uh, people to get in line or let's vote in people that will. And let's not be afraid to put people out who were all about dragging their feet. And a lot of people want to talk about, well, those people don't get stuff. Some people are just too idealistic. They don't get stuff done. Well, they're in there because they're in there for a purpose. They're not there to half step. And unfortunately, right. they were just outnumbered. God. And I yeah. think, 
with what you're saying, I have to I have to go there. I mean, something that has really been dismaying my heart lately is, you know, come November, we're gonna have Trump, four years of Trump or four years of Biden. Biden mm-hmm. is not someone who is for, you know, defunding the police. Biden he said is not it out even loud. for right. he's not even we just had a global pandemic and this man is not even for better solutions for everybody to have health care, right? So like part, part I'm just so frustrated with our country and our party and our electoral power. Like like now is not the time, like you said, to half step, right? No. Like we need we need big ideas and big solutions. And I right. think people are hungry for that right now. And I but and then it's like the only answer to why you can't insure every other person is like is is just about the insurance industry. There are ways right. to re like to to put people in new positions to stay employed that isn't so like these disingenuous arguments that like suddenly these people are going to be out on their ass. Like uh, I'm sure there are some people who like who work in maybe in an administrative capacity in a C-suite at Humana or Kaiser or something. <laughs> yes, that may be a bit difficult. Uh but not to say that we can't think of a, an equitable way to to transition off of that to create that because at the end of the day it's really just about money. Yeah, right. that's something like like the pandemic happening and then the this 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 wave of protest happening at the same time. Nothing has ever been like more clear to me is that you know before all of this unrest happened, we couldn't make sure like not everybody has insurance. We couldn't make sure our doctors had enough of the gear they needed right. to do their job safely. A week later, we've got we've got money for the military in my in my in my little sleepy DC town to be sending out tanks and flashbangs because a, a handful of teenagers broke curfew. Like yeah. we have yeah. money for we have money for this, but we didn't have money for fucking face masks a week ago. Like the only reason why we have people who are uninsured, people who are dying because they can't get what they need in terms of medical care, you know, is because we. We've made that choice. It's a choice. We have yeah. we have the money. We have the money. The fact of the matter is, like, if we wanted to take care of our people in this country, we could. We have chosen. A, we have chosen not to, yeah. but we fucking could. Yeah. Like, we just need to yeah. like accept that. Yeah, I think much in the same way. It's like it's like the same thing where the, with I guess with racism in this country, we can we we're willing to diagnose that, but there yeah. hasn't been that tipping point where it's clicking now. Where it's like, yeah, wait, why? Wait, why are we? Why are they paid? So, why are these fucking CEOs paid? So what is this? Why they barely do? What are we doing? What? What's? Yeah. Why are we leaving people behind? And the smart people, a lot of really smart people, go into just bullshit jobs. I mean, you were talking about the people who are going to be out on their ass. Like those are generally people who could be very good at a job that actually contributes something, that actually takes care of somebody instead of finding legal ways to overcomplicate the process of getting people covered for their health care. Yeah. Like the, it's just our, our system is not set up to uh, function efficiently. It's set up to uh, find ways for people at the top to make money. Yeah. The whole game is that we have industries that are essentially made to generate revenue from the failings of capitalism. That's yeah. that's the other stage of this thing is like, OK, so in late it's like, OK, so because we leave uh, black and brown people destitute and they commit crimes of desperation, the solution isn't to address their inequality. It's to now criminalize their poverty mm-hmm. and send patrols in there to just round people up, arrest them, brutalize them. 
Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Oh, but look who makes all this money. All the people who make the tear yeah. gas, who make the tanks, who make the prisons, who make the handcuffs, who make the police uniforms. That's a whole industry that's built off of ignoring the actual root cause of these crimes that are happening. And it's so disingenuous yeah. that it just be like, nah, rat, see, because if I do that, then there will be less of what I need to do. And I want I need to create more money. So what I'll do is these people are now illegal. What they do right. is illegal. And we won't even let's completely avoid a conversation of how to actually uh, get these people to some point of stability. Um, but, you know, that's that's just kind of where some people are at in the discourse. Yeah. I feel like the mainstream media can over explain and they can look at the systems of, well, doctors didn't have the like the doctors had to wear garbage bags because we didn't have the masks created yet. And like we didn't have the stockpile <laughs> and that was a systemic problem. And police are, you know, have mech suits because of that. like I, I've seen all these articles in the New York Times and uh, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal that are all just like this really close analysis of each systemic problem. But at a certain point, you need to step back and you do have to look at the symptom and be like, okay, this is not, we, there's something overall wrong with the like broad value system when a doctor during a pandemic is wearing a garbage bag and when police immediately respond looking like the future scene from Terminator when, right. um, whenever there's, you know, peaceful protest well it's funny like now it's like you know the the three race class and gender uh race and gender the news is fine talking about it seems like class not so much or at least nope. connecting all three at once never, never because that would probably activate too many people's imaginations uh for liberation or something like that but i think again the reason too is because all of these systems are there to reinforce this caste system these just like this these classes that we have. And when you're able to say, you know, again, with the criminalization of the poor rather than rehabilitation of the poor, you can maintain your caste system and make money. Because if you create equality, now you're disrupting that model. So the ruling class is completely unable to address it because it would quite literally erode their financial, political, and racial supremacy. So it's like a snail being pro salt. Like you're not going to hear them talk <laughs> about it. Because they were like, oh, shit, then I've, nope, nope, I'm not going to talk about salt. Talk about everything else. Right. Absolutely. Yep. And I want to say one thing, which I know sounds a little hippy-dippy, but it came up in a therapy session where I just like ranted about all of these things that mm -hmm. I found very, very impactful is that this is a lot, right? Like yeah. one person, right? Like me, my little self working alone, I am not going to be able to overthrow capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy, <laughs> or any other oppressive system, right? Like Sometimes we feel like we can, though. That's <laughs> we right? get, I feel like if, honestly, listening that's to you talk today, Miles, <laughs> I was like, maybe, maybe I can do it. <laughs> no, but that's the allure. But, like, in, in a, some, but we get these moments where you feel in touch with your power, and it's easy to fall into that. Definitely. Um, but something that my therapist said that I found so impactful was that while I cannot overthrow these oppressive systems myself, I can do the work to make sure they don't run shit in my, in, in my relationships, in my home, mm -hmm. in my workplace, and most importantly, in my mind, right? And so, like, I was reading this step-by-step this, um, -step guide about, you know, um, prison abolition and, and, and defunding the police and all of that. And the, the first thing they said was, step one, if you're going to be serious about abolition, is kill the cop in your mind, that voice in your head, when you, when you catch yourself 
policing others, you know, asking like when you hear your inner Karen going off, when mm-hmm. you, you know, the, what are the, they the doing? Need, What's, what are they up to over there? Why right, is that so loud? Right, like, right. like the number one thing we all need to do is not out there. It's, it's self-work. It's mm-hmm. killing the cop in our mind. And that, I found that to be so empowering is that, oh, I might not be able to overthrow capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy, but I can damn sure make sure they don't run shit in my house, in my yeah. mind, in my relationships, yeah. at, my, at my job, you know? Absolutely. Just going back to to Biden real quick, I I feel like there there's a certain type of Democrat who wanted Biden to win so that they could stop paying attention to the news, and I think we need to actively address that. Like over the coming, like I still think you know we should vote for Biden because I don't know what happens with Trump continuing in the White House, but that cannot be the reason why. It can't be uh, a situation where we go back to, you know, just assuming that everything is being taken care of. And you guys mentioned it earlier, that sort of political geometry of every time there's a Democrat in the White House, there's a triangulation that goes on where they have to, you know, consider, have to appear, uh, tough on crime or conservative politically or conservative fiscally, like all these different things that they feel they have to do. Whereas like Republicans never feel like they have to make concessions in the other direction. Yeah. Um, But Democrats like that needs to stop and it can't be a thing. We stop paying attention. All that, all that does. It's just accommodating white supremacy. Mm. Yeah. That's all it is. And that's all it has been. So whenever we're asking for real equality and these bills get to a point and legislators that get it, get it to a place where maybe it could get a vote and then it gets fucking destroyed and watered down. That's because then they're Democrats who are accommodating the white supremacy on the right or in their own districts. And I think that's at least I think maybe that's the difference is we are less companies, too, are less willing to accommodate white supremacy, too. Like when they just say, hey, fuck y'all, bro. If if it ain't Black Lives Matter, fucking I don't give take your dollar somewhere else. We don't give a fuck. We actually right. don't. We don't give a fuck because the racists aren't making the shit that's good. But go ahead. Go over there if you like it. And I think that's the attitude that the Democrats also need to have is to stop accommodating these white supremacists. And it's easy. You can say, look. We're doing this because that's right. And uh, if the, whatever, I think a lot of arguments against like these structural changes, like they're only going to appeal to the, the economics of it ever, because there's no, right. there's no moral argument against any of these things. We're, we're seeing everything. So now it's like scrambling to be like, well, then how can we obscure this in these other ways to try and, because we can't, this can't get too much momentum, but I think really what we need to be doing. And I think that's a place where I'm finding myself at is like, I'm not going to accommodate white supremacy. So that means if I see it, I will call it out. I'm not going to I'm not going to be like, "Oh, there's white supremacy." You know, that was like a very 2017, 2018, 19 <laughs> way of being like, "What? what, what there it is." I mean, we see it, yeah. but then I, you know, I was living in a reality where you see it and then like, yeah, if enough people on Twitter know who this person is, maybe they'll get fired and that's the little bit of justice I can taste. Um, but yeah. I think we got eyes on bigger prizes now. The status quo is not inherently 
good. Like Americans have loved to tell or so the, the status quo of America is not that America is inherently good. It's that it's inherently white supremacist. America's soul is not inherently good. Like, I mean, I can all, I can just hear Biden saying that like deep down Americans are good and mm. Americans deep down are white supremacist. And yeah. that is something that needs to be actively addressed constantly right. on a daily basis. Yes. I just want to yes and that so much. You know, when there's a, a, a high profile racist incident, so many of my like well-meaning white friends always rush to be like, this isn't who America is. America's better yes. than that. B- better than that. It's like, where? When? When was America <laughs> better? Like, like, this is who we are. I think that that like that that distinction, Jack, that you just talked about, like, it's uncomfortable and difficult, I think, for a lot of people to swallow that this is who America is. And getting back to normal, quote unquote, getting back to the status quo would just be a return to all of these oppressive, fucked up, toxic systems that have ran shit for so long. Because this is who we are. You know, when we say like, oh, it's a broken system. It's not really broken. Like we've, we've, cho- we've chosen to set it up this way. And that's the system that we have. So like, if you don't like the system, it's not that it's broken. It's, it's functioning the way it was designed to function, which is badly if you're black or brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's that that's the other part of it is governments are only, you know, legit, legitimate if people, you know, uh, consent to to be ruled under it. And we're we're seeing I mean, now we're like willing to completely reject. There are a lot of people who are starting to reject uh, what they're seeing. And for a lot of people, too, like, I mean, we've talked we talk about this on the show all the time. And I just want to be able to arm listeners too, when because people will, especially a lot of uh, people who don't think much, they're going to hear white supremacy and they say, "I'm not in the KKK. I didn't right. own slaves. We didn't own. We're Irish or whatever. We were slaves." Uh, which I see that one on Twitter a lot. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the begin to like really understand what we're talking about, right? Like if you just think of it, it's like that our entire history has been written by the people who were doing their own PR the whole time. You know what I mean? Came here, we kicked these people the fuck out, brutalized them, you know, uh, then we took over. Then we like, were hallucinating that God said we could have everything else. So then we fought a bunch of people, uh, mistreated people, uh, then used the labor of these people we stole from their land. Uh, and then wait to get a load of this 400 years later, they're going to pay a company that white people own called 23 and me and still not know where they come from because we stole them from where they came. It's going to be that sick. I mean, like, these are the things it's 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 just about how there's been. We have not truly addressed how we have used slavery in this country to, you know, from the time of King Cotton and what that did for America as an economic powerhouse to the the labor that has been used to build these cities and then freed the slaves and said that was enough. And been like, and then we'll continue to find new ways to evolve this slavery because we realize, okay, we can't say slavery anymore. We've crossed the Rubicon where the word slavery bad. Everyone knows slavery bad, so let's call it something else. Okay, let's start, um, let's start segregating them, and we'll put them in these other places, and then we can find other ways to just sort of maintain this thing where we will continue to other and be suspicious of a group of people. Um, I don't even know where I'm going with this because once I get once I get started talking about this stuff, I get a million thoughts in my head. No, I mean that's that's. Oh uh, yeah, we need to have a reckoning. You know, that's what I meant. We just have to. 
uh, people, it's, it's about having an honest reckoning. Like if you haven't read a people's history of the United States, my God, mm. like that was one of the first yeah. times I, I remember graduating high school and a history teacher who I really looked up to. The reason I even majored in history was like, Hey, you should check this book out. And I was like, why didn't we read this here? He's like, dude, I can't, I can't <laughs> tell y'all to fucking read this shit in this school. <laughs> um, and yeah. I did. And it blew my mind. I was like, damn, that's right. They were doing their own PR this whole time with these history books. And was that the book that, ra- that was that the book that radicalized you? Like, what was the thing that like radicalized you? Like that, that like brought you to where you are. Like, was your jumping off point that got you to where you are now? Was it that book? That was the first step. And then I think when I read uh, like Confessions of an Economic Hitman, that helped put the pu- other puzzle pieces in place of like how mm-hmm. we were interpreting the Cold War and how America was playing out its game of influence in Latin America and South America using soft power versus what the Soviet Union was doing with like brute, like military, like force to show people like Americans would be like, we're going to use debt (laughs) and like (laughs) use our guns to train people who will kill socialists. Like that was sort of the other parts. And I was like, oh, right. And I I think just, I think really, and if any, anytime you can find an honest account of history, whether that's like, the uh, involvement in Latin America with like, or the school of Americas and knowing like what that was and things like that. Those are when you realize I'm like, these are things that exist that are even have Wikipedia articles. It's not like these are conspiracy theories. I've just been force fed a diet that completely sanitizes all of the Americans of any wrongdoing. I don't know. I can't remember a single time, like as a kid, where I was like, wow, America was really bad for that. Even the atomic bomb. I'm black and Japanese. And I'm reading a section on uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And I'm like, yeah, man, that probably, the war would have got a lot worse if they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And I was fed that. And I remember like saying that out loud to my mom and got my head ripped off. And I was like, oh my God, I totally forgot. Like that's, and I've been, I've been I'm Japanese. I've been to... Hiroshima and I've seen the 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 like the dome the bombed out dome and like I know what that means to the people of Japan and like most people who saw that as an atrocity but then I without being able to see the nuance of what I was getting as a school child and even like eating this like really bittersweet cookie that was American history being fed to me of like the destruction of my own people and it's weird when you because we we go out into the world like we trust the teachers and the schools and like that's what it's all about but we have to become we have to get more honest here and be a little more critical of like it's not we're not doing ourselves any service by obscuring our past. Mm. And I mean the white supremacists know how powerful that shit is. They that's why they fight to ban books. That's why they, you know, there there's uh an episode of the dollop that I was listening to recently about the like West Virginia textbook battles where these like right wing you know, white supremacists were just battling to keep any mention of like science, any mention of just anything out out of the schools. And they like went to literal war over it because they, you know, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Because again, white supremacy survives as long as we don't talk about it. Mm. Yeah. As long as we don't put our attention on it. And as long as we don't use the words white supremacy, because it's easier to say like, man, then those were difficult times and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, see, now you've completely derailed our purpose because our purpose is to dismantle white supremacy. It's not to, it's not to create lawlessness and get rid of the cops. The cops are an expression of white supremacy, but there is eyes on bigger prizes. 
you said if you haven't read uh, People's History of the U.S., it, even if you have, I, I'm going to reread that. I, I suggest rereading it. I just rewatched 13th uh, and something that stuck with me this time more than it had before was just that last line. Brian Stevenson says, people say all the time, I don't understand how people could have tolerated slavery. How could they have made peace with that? How could people have gone to a lynching, participated in that? How do people make sense of the segregation, this white and colored only drinking fountain? That's so crazy. If I was living at that time, I would have never tolerated anything like that. And the truth is we are living at this time and we are tolerating it. Yep. That, that's it. Yeah. Well, Bridget, uh, it's been wonderful <laughs> having you on the show. I feel uh, like really I completely has. derailed your episode structure. No, I apologize. No, not at all. I how all the episodes have been going lately, and I think that's necessary. I think we're better think off. It's good to let the conversation go yeah. where it does. Yeah, and you were a great guest as always. So never feel like you derailed anything. Uh, where can people find you and follow you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Bridget Marie. You can follow me on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC. And you can keep a lookout for my new podcast on this very network, iHeartRadio, called There Are No Girls on the Internet. It drops on July 7th. Nice. Wow. What's it about? It explores the intersection of women and other marginalized voices, technology, and the internet. I think, especially right now, you know, in all these conversations we're having about white supremacy. Tech, tech companies, specific individuals in tech are really allowing a lot of shit to go on yeah. while also pretending that their tech is apolitical or neutral. And that's bullshit. Mm. So I really want to yes. explore some of that and, and point some fingers. Yeah. <laughs> so come along with me. We love, mm. oh, we love finger pointing around here. <laughs> uh, and is there a tweet you've been enjoying or some other work of social media? Yes, there is. Um, my... Favorite tweet of the moment. I have two. One is uh, Twitter user Alyssa. She says, you want to know why you're all so phonetically satisfied by the line, quote, suck my dick and choke on it. I yield my time. Fuck you. It's because it's basically <laughs> Shakespeare. It feels like a heartbeat. Literally, it's how you speak when your body is yeah. guiding you. And she's broken it down. And it's, a, it's essentially iambic pentameter. It is. And I think there is something like so lyrically uh. beautiful about that phrase. Suck my dick and choke on it. I yield my time. Fuck you. I've said it a, probably a hundred times since I saw that video. That is my new life motto. What was your mm. favorite coupling? <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think I gotta go with the I yield my time, fuck you. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like he recognizes that his time is up, has a little bit more time, and is gonna sneak that in. I just think it's and I still, think it's a real And still has a respect for decorum too. <laughs> like I think that's what it is. Despite all that, you said you I told the man to choke on your dick, but then you're like, Oh, decorum, I yield my time, fuck up, oh, fuck you. Sorry. Ugh, had had one more time on the way out. Oh, <laughs> uh. And another uh, thing I've been loving online is the my, probably my new protest anthem, You About to Lose Your Job. job. Yep. Uh, somebody mm -hmm. tweeted a picture of a protest, I think, in L.A. outside of the police station where it's just hundreds of protesters chanting that song. I just love that that's become like a, like a, a rallying cry. Did you see that one moment. video from Detroit? Uh, where the dude was like on a bombed out Mad Max car and it was like Detroit techno and it was like, boom, no justice, no peace. Fuck these racist ass police. 
no justice. And people were like, it was a, like, everyone was like singing. It was real easy. It was a real easy one to get along to. So I love it. I love it. And it's a good reminder that, that techno came from like deep, like techno came from Detroit. Like it was, it's a real, like, oh, I love it. I I love a, like, um, convergence of things, anti-police protests and techno in Detroit. Right. Yes, please. And blackness. It's all like, (laughs) oh, give it to me. Put it in my veins. Yeah. Uh, Miles, where can people find you and what's a tweet you've been enjoying? Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, PlayStation Network, Miles of Grey. Also, my other podcast, 420 Day Fiance. Talking about 90 Day Fiance. Uh, and a new season started up. So if you want to completely uh, ignore the news, yeah, come on to my show where I only will occasionally violently go on a political rant because something <laughs> on the show reminds me of the inequalities in our world. But I try to keep them to a minimum. Um, let's see some tweets that I like. Uh, first one is from, uh, regular guest, uh, Andrew T. Uh, he's like quote tweeting, like a picture of another tweet that, um, it just says guy trolling police by playing the Imperial March is exactly what the world needs right now. Uh, which I think was happening like all over, but a lot in, in France. (laughs) And then Andrew (laughs) tweets, do you dumb fucks not know what the words exactly and needs mean? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, and another one is from at Chris Ligman it says in Los Angeles we don't say goodbye we say I yield my time fuck you and I think it's beautiful (laughs) yes oh shit those are so good I can't beat those Uh, you can find me at Jack underscore O'Brien you can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, Footnote. where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as the song we ride out on. Miles, you're oh. back to tell us what we are riding out on I today. mean, H-E-R, having everything revealed to her. Uh, she mm. is a one. Uh, she's a great R and B artist. Um, she's actually, I think, uh, had a song on uh, the, the show Songland uh, that uh, super producer Nick Stumpf works on that podcast. Uh, but this track is called Two uh, by her. Um, I know it all sounds like Two by her, uh, but I, I don't know. She's just got like a great like down tempo style. Um, her production's like very. Like forward thinking, like you know, I like when people, like when artists, kind of have their own idea of what their aesthetic is, especially with like the the, the songs and instrumentals that they sing over. Um, and I always like, I always like her aesthetic. So if you if you like it, check out her h dot e dot e dot r. Her. Uh, and is it two like the number two? Number two, two like number two. Numero dos. All right. Well, the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio, and for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That is going to do it for this morning. We'll be back this afternoon to tell you what's trending. We will talk to you guys then. Bye. Bye. There are no rules.